0: Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, I think in your pew Bible, that would be page 676. And today I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do a different kind of sermon. Um, a while back, I did a sermon where I really kind of gave a seminar. And today, uh, there's so much in this passage. If you know the passage I'm looking at, probably some of you are saying, well, I wonder what angle he's going to take on this passage. Is he going to uh, talk more about baptism, or is he going to talk more about the Trinity, or what, what exactly what is uh, Wes going to talk about? Well, I decided to do all of it, and so I'm going to do uh, three very short lessons, three very, very, and I promise, very short lessons um, in this passage, and then I'm going to try to end with a little bit of inspiration for you, okay? All right, so that, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a little bit about baptism, we're going to look a, a little bit about joining God's movement, and we'll look a little bit uh, about the, the Trinity, Okay. So baptism, Trinity, and joining God's movement. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our passage. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask you this morning to be our teacher. Lord, we read the scriptures, we, we make lessons, we make sermons around here, but Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. No matter what is set up here, Lord, get your message across to each believing heart here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But, and that's not the Apostle John, that's John the Baptizer. Apparently last week, well, last week I said, I'm not, I don't want to call him John the Baptist, I'm going to call him John the Baptizer. So I did that at the very beginning, and then I never did again throughout the rest of the sermon. And some people called me out on it. So anyway, John the Baptizer. He's not a, he's not a Baptist, he doesn't go to First Baptist Church, he's a baptizer. Uh, but John... John the Baptist, John the baptizer, tried to deter Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So let me talk about that for just a little bit. Uh, theologians debate all the time. Why why did Jesus have to be baptized? In any commentary you look at, there will be this whole section about... Um, about why Jesus was baptized, because everybody was coming to John for a baptism of repentance, uh, confession of sin, uh, getting the sin out of our life, purging all the the sin out of our life that needs to be gotten out. Uh, And so when Jesus comes to him, uh, what does that look like to everybody there? It looks like to everybody there that Jesus is just like them. Jesus needs to repent of sin. Jesus needs to uh, confess sin just like they did and get baptized just like they did. And that's why John... Uh, said, no, no. Hey, everybody else, we've all been repenting of sin and confessing sin, and then I've been baptizing you. But here's this guy over here, and he doesn't need that. He doesn't need any of what we need. Everything that we've been doing here, he doesn't need it. He's that good. He's that perfect. He is uh, He is the one. He is the Lamb of God. Uh, he is the perfect one. We're the imperfect ones. We need this. He doesn't need this. And it is, I don't think it happened in a big, huge conversation like that, but I think when Jesus comes to John, and they've known each other. I don't think they're strangers. And Remember this, they, they're actually related. They're a little distantly related, and I don't know how much interaction they had growing up, but they know each other. And when Jesus comes to John, John's like, oh, this is the guy. This is him. Everything I'm pointing to is this guy right here. And then Jesus comes and does, and he doesn't come up to John and say, John, all right, thank you, I'll take it from here. And that's probably what John would have expected. Uh, I expect it entirely to turn all my ministry over to him. That's what I want. That's what's going to happen. I must decrease. He must increase. So here he comes. I'm going to turn everything over to him, and now I'm going to be his disciple instead of me having my disciples. And instead, Jesus comes up to him and says, I want to do this too. What? This is all about repentance, getting sin out of your life. You don't have any of that problem. Why are we doing that? And then Jesus says, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's fulfill all righteousness. Let's do that, okay? And John says, okay. This is weird for me. This is awkward for me. But it's the greatest honor I'll ever have. I baptize you, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I baptize you. And why did he do it? So that, because Jesus said, fulfill all righteousness. Let's fulfill all all righteousness. And let me break that out a little bit here. Christianity, or believing God, following God, reading the Bible, doing what the Bible says, isn't all about just not doing some things. It's not about just not doing bad things. It's about doing the good things. It's not about just dishonoring God with evil behavior. It's about honoring God with righteous behavior. And I think Jesus comes up and says, let's honor God. Let's honor God with some righteous behavior. And Jesus, this isn't the only fulfill all righteous thing that we might think it's strange that Jesus did. This is not the only thing. All his life, all his life, he went to synagogues. Because you're supposed to go to synagogue. Fulfill all righteousness. He, he memorized passages of scripture. He's the word of God himself. He memorizes every passage of scripture that they gave him. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. He says all these prayers, all of this. Uh, to, to why? To fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness. He gives sacrifices. I have no doubt that in his life he went to Jerusalem to present sacrifices. But wait a second, West. Aren't sacrifices all done uh, for sin? Well, actually, not all sacrifices are for sin. Some sacrifices are called fellowship offerings. We fell. We have fellowship with God and each other, so we present this offering. Some of it is thanksgiving, and certainly he gave thanks to his Father. He offers. I'm certain he offered all kinds of sacrifices uh, to God in his life, all up to this point, and even even afterwards. Why? Because this is what. This is what believers do. This is what believers do. They honor God in all of these ways. And so Jesus is now extending that into John the Baptist's ministry. And he says, all of this, all of this, this this baptism, it has even more meaning than what you might think of. You might just think of this as washing the dirtiness out of my life, but there's so much more. It's taking a step forward in faith with God. And it's uh, getting and being a part, getting into God's movement. And so Jesus comes in and he says, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of, of all of this. Not just the, the repenting of sin part. Okay, he doesn't have any of that. But what does he want to do? He, no, he, wants, to, um, he wants to not omit the good things. Okay, There are a couple of different kinds of, uh, was it uh, Oswald Chambers or Warren Wearsby? I don't know who uh, came up with these, um, these terms, sin of commission, sin of omission. Who, who said that? Do you remember who said that? A couple of different kinds of sins out there. Of course, you can categorize sins in a lot of different ways, but there are sins of commission. I do this thing and it's evil. I do this thing and it's evil. That is a commission of a sin. But then there are omissions. There are omissions, uh, things that I ought to have done, things that are good that I left out of my life. And I know a lot of people who have really good, clean lives. They're actually, of course, nobody's sinless, but they have really good, clean lives. They don't, uh, in Oklahoma, the joke was, I don't uh, don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. All right? Chew tobacco, if you didn't know what that meant. Everybody chews their food, but not tobacco. All right? And people are mostly judged by the sins of commission in their life, the, the sins that they commit, the outward evil behaviors. But there are a lot of people out there who are omitting a lot of righteousness from their life omitting a lot of good things, a lot of things that honor God and bless other people. They're leaving that out of their life. And so I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to look at your life again. Maybe you say, well, Christianity to me is about not doing, and I don't do this, 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 and I've got a good list of things that I don't do. But I would encourage you to go back and, and with the Holy Spirit's help, re-examine and say, a Christian ought to do this, 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 and this. Do I do those things? Do I do those things? Am I omitting my omitting righteousness from my life. Maybe I've gotten the, most of the evil out of my life, but have I gotten the righteousness into my life? Is the worship there? Is the service to God there? Is the, the, reverend, the reverence for the holiness of God, is it there? Is it there? All right. Now, let me just talk a little bit about baptism for us. Baptism for us is not the same as John's baptism. Okay? It's very, it's it's similar and it's connected and all this stuff, but it's a it's it's a little bit different. For John's movement, to be a part of John's movement, you step forward, you confess your sins, you renounce your sins, you repent of your sins, you get baptized, and you didn't really convert then. You didn't really become a new believer, you became a, a sort of a revitalized believer, a rededicated believer. Now, to follow Christ, to follow Christ, that's a different thing. And and, and Jesus had people baptizing for different reasons. Uh, Repentance and conversion, is, or repentance and confession and uh, confession of belief in Christ—that's all part of our conversion. If we're not a Christian, we need to repent and believe and start following Christ, and uh, that is our conversion experience. Uh, but baptism for John, in John's movement is sort of that is the washing away of your sins. And for us, what washes away my sins? Does the water of baptism wash away my sins? No, the blood of Jesus washes away my sins. So when I'm baptized now, I'm baptized to show everybody what has already happened in my life, what God has already done in my life, okay? Uh, baptism is not salvation. Believing in Christ, following Christ, being forgiven by, for, by Christ, that is salvation. And then my first obedience after that is to proclaim to everybody that I have followed Christ, that I have believed in Christ by being baptized, okay? Okay. And it's natural that we would meld these thing, two things together. Nearly every time in the book of Acts, when somebody starts believing in Christ, they are baptized immediately. But the Salvation Act, the Conversion Act, and the Baptism Act are really separate, but they need to happen as closely together as possible. And I would encourage you, if you, if you believe in the Lord, and if you have confessed your belief in Him, your trust in Him, if you are leaning on Jesus, if you have confessed that you are a sinner, if you have confessed your sins before him, if you have repented of your sins, want to get the old person out, the old evil acts, the old evil heart out, if you have done that, you believe all of these things and have had that born-again experience, that conversion experience, then I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized, to say, you know what, my next obedience needs to be not any of these other things. My my first obedience after conversion is, I want to be baptized. I want to uh, and we don't have a baptistry uh, in our church. We, we generally baptize once a year. We baptize once a year. We go out to Jefferson, uh, where some folks in our church have a piece of property on a place called uh, Little Dyer Pond. Isn't that what it's called? Little Dyer Pond. And we go out into uh, the cool, clean waters, and we baptize people. And it's a wonderful experience. How many of you have been baptized in the Del Gallo's Lake? It's called Dyer Pond, but it's really Del Gallo Pond. I guess. It's there. They own it. good. And I would like to baptize people there all year long, except there's no way I'm going to go out there and baptize people all year long. Um, so what we do here, what we do here is, um, uh, and my philosophy on baptism is I, I want people to be baptized and I want to use as much water as possible. Okay. There are a lot of different ways. People will sprinkle, people will pour, people will dunk. I like to dunk. It's the, to me, it's the best metaphor for everything that uh, is going on in the Bible. I am washed, I am um, washed by the blood, not by the water, washed by the blood of Christ, and I have died with Christ, and now I'm raised again with Christ, okay? I love that. I love that for a metaphor. It's hard to do that with a little bit of sprinkling, okay? And that's why I like to be the dunker, okay? Um, but since we can't do that all year up here, all right, uh, I, if, if the policy, if you want to be baptized, please come forward. We'll baptize you as soon as possible, uh, and, and I'll pour over you. And uh, I joke, I, and to me that's, that's a good enough baptism um, for, for whatever purposes, but I always like to just say to people, this is your deposit. Next summer uh, at the Gallows, I'd, like I'd like to give you the full dunking, okay? So if that's the case with you, uh, just, just know that I'll, I'll pour over you and I'll pour over anybody any Sunday, any day, any time, anywhere, uh, but I really want to dunk you at some point too, okay? So that's baptism, that's baptism. It's, it's a couple of different things. It is a symbolism of what Christ has done for us. It is a symbolism of that, um, that in the end, even though we die, we will be raised to life uh, in Christ. But it's also it's, it's part of joining. It's part of joining. In baptism, you, you join the church of Christ all around the world. Every, every believer around the world is part of this. Uh, family of God and uh, Christ does that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and when we are uh, when at our act of conversion and all of that we, we come into this family but uh, that baptism there I always like to when, when I baptize people up here I always like to say how many of you have been baptized uh, and and see all the hands go up so that the person being baptized can see you are part of a group of people who have had the same experience so not only in baptism are you uh, symbolizing what Christ has done in your life but you're also joining you're joining a group of people you're joining uh, a movement of people and if you want to join if you really want to join joining is a big part of uh, of the christian life being part of a group there aren't any lone ranger christians out there as much as many people would like to be they'd like to just say no my faith is just a private thing it's just me and the lord we just walk alone i really don't need the church i don't need anybody else no that is not what the new testament teaches us when you um, are joined together with christ you are joined together with his entire body the church you covenant uh, together um, and we have this, this covenant, this covenant that we have as a church. Now, uh, I don't put you into the, the body of Christ full. Christ puts you into his body at your moment of conversion. But it is important, it is, it is important, it is a, um, a big deal to covenant with a local group, a local congregation of believers. And there are many churches in this town who believe in the Lord, follow the Lord, and do the Lord's work in this town. But we always kind of want to know. We always kind of want to know who's covenanted with us, who's really with us, who's sort of dedicating or or um, uh, committing to us. Uh, it's almost like um, I, I don't want to use marriage metaphors too much. Um, but what if a guy, what if a guy out there said, you know, there's a lot of nice girls in this town, and I'll just kind of date around and and, and kind of be a part of uh, of any of them. They're, they're all nice girls, and eventually all the girls would kind of say, um, I'm sorry. That's not natural. That doesn't work. That that doesn't please any of us. I want you to commit to one of us, all right? And any of these girls might be nice girls, but all the girls, even all the girls will want the guy to commit to one of them, right? And so um, there are a lot of churches around here. There are a lot of churches in Kennebec County that are very good churches, believe in the Lord, and they're doing the work uh, of the Lord. Um, But all of us pastors, I'll speak for all the pastors. I'll go ahead and do that. I'll be so audacious. I'll speak for all the pastors, and I'll say, we want you to commit to one of us. Not, and not me, but one of the congregations. We want you to commit to one of the congregations around. And so every once in a while, it's good for us to just put this out there. Just put this out there. We're willing to commit with you, covenant with you. Will you covenant with us? Will you covenant with us that this is your congregation? You can't know everybody. You can't serve everybody. But this church can be your conduit uh, to reach people, to know people, to serve people, and to worship with a group of people. Here's our, co- our church covenant. Since in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, we enter into this covenant to aid us in carrying out Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, 19-20. And that's about reaching the whole world, blessing the whole world with the gospel. Uh, so you co- if you covenant with our church, you're covenanting with us for that purpose, for that purpose. And it says, uh, point one, we gratefully acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord, accept the authority of God's written word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, pretty standard Christian stuff. Number two, we commit ourselves to this body of believers, and that's where the commitment really comes in. There, we commit ourselves to daily Christian living. Daily Christian living. This is this is the Christ is at the center of my life. He's not just something I do on weekends. Um, And point number four, we will strive to live by the teachings of God's Word. We will encourage each other in the acceptance of these principles. If you've been coming to church here for a while. And if you've been baptized, I'd like you to take a step forward and say, hey, okay, I'm going to go ahead and covenant with you now. I've been tithing here. I've been serving here. I've been worshiping here. I've been doing all these things for so long. Why don't I just go ahead and say, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, and again, it's kind of like that dating relationship there where you uh, we, we play putt-putt together. We go to movies together. We do all these other little fun things together. Why don't I just go ahead and say, we're dating, or let's get engaged, or let's get married. Why don't I just go ahead... And and, and, and since we're acting like it anyway, let's just go ahead and, and, and take that step forward, okay? Do that. Uh, and to that point and to that point, I want to talk about something else. all right Remember this is less less sermon and more seminar. When I was hired here as the pastor, uh, they wanted me to do a couple of things. They wanted me to create some sort of teaching on membership material, okay? And I did that. And they said, we also want you to have uh, to create for us a constitution and bylaws, constitution and bylaws, okay? And I gave myself a deadline to do that by October 31st of 2015, 16. And they're finally done, okay? <laughs> they're finally done. Uh, and, and I didn't just make this stuff up okay? uh, There are a lot of of templates out there for making constitution and bylaws. Now, what is a constitution and bylaws anyway? Uh, You you may not even know about that that kind of thing, okay? But churches operate in a certain way, all right? And there's something called constitution, there's something called bylaws, all right? And there is a difference, and here is the difference. Constitution is, this is who we are, and bylaws is, this is how we operate, okay? So, who are we? How do we operate? And so, we now have and you have to have some kind of constitution and bylaws uh, to just sort of exist as a church as far as the state of Maine is concerned. And we have that. And I don't, even, I don't know if i have ever even looked at that, but it's pretty sparse. It's just sort of a little thing for a religious organization that's very bland, very stable very, and, far, and far broader than we might want to be. So we have a more specific now um, constitution and bylaws. And I, it's not like we're gonna submit this to the state of Maine and they'll have it on file, no. And this church hasn't had this for a long time uh, ever. And do you know why? Because everybody's played nice. Everybody's done well. Everybody's gotten along. Everybody's been in agreement over, over most of the basic things for, for the longest time, okay? These things are when for you're not playing nice, okay? And we have hard, since I've been here, of course, we don't have bylaws, but since I've been here, nobody said, what do the bylaws say? How, do we, how, you know, how are we going to fix this? We don't have that kind of thing because we don't have very many uh, kerfuffles around here Okay, and I'm very glad. And I hope that, by, uh, that after we create these, we don't start having kerfuffles, okay? Uh, and anyway, you're gonna get a chance to be part of this. To be, uh, this is a proposed rough draft. It's not a rough draft, it's a proposed final draft, okay? And you're gonna get a chance to be part of this. Um, Dave, raise your hand. There's Dave, okay? Dave has some of, the, some of these. And Laurel, raise your hand. Laurel has some of these That's at our closing today. After in the final prayer, they're gonna uh, they're gonna they're gonna scamper back to the back. And Dave has the ones that are in large print. If you need large print, and uh, Laurel has the ones that are in smaller print. If you can handle the smaller print, okay. It's a fairly long document, so I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and get yourself a cup of hot tea and get yourself a yellow highlighter and a pink highlighter, and sit down and. Go to sleep reading the bylaws, okay? All right. Use the yellow for things that you affirm and the pink for things you have questions about, all right? Uh, And uh, in a few weeks, we're gonna have a nice Sunday afternoon meeting where we sit around and we say, okay, we're gonna go through these. We're gonna go through these and you'll get to ask questions about why does this say that? Why does that say that? And we'll talk about um, church polity. Oh, it's a great spiritual subject. Anyway, we're gonna talk about church polity, how how churches operate, and we'll talk about because our beliefs and things like that are, are outlined in here, and then how we operate, and then the very back is, hey, what if we cease to exist? What do we do? What do we do if we, if the thing has to shut down? And all of that is in there. So you need to you need to know about this, um, not not on a daily basis for the daily operation of things around here. Is not nothing like that, no, and nothing in here changes the way we have been operating. Okay, by the way, either these reflect. What, who, we are, who we have been so far and what we have been doing so far, the way we have been doing things so far too, okay? But I have a feeling that these will bring up some very good questions that need to be asked and answered too, okay? Uh, so anyway, the bylaws, the bylaws. Being part of God's movement, joining God's people, doing God's work. That's seminar sort of number two. All right, let's get back into the scriptures. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, heaven was opened, and he, and that he is John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. With him, I am well pleased. All right. So this is the first place in the Bible where uh, an undeniable trinity can be seen and everybody sees it, and everybody understands it, or, or, or can, can sort of understand it from it, if it can be understood at all. Let me go ahead and, and sort of show you a diagram that I've, I've um, put up here before. What is the Trinity? What is the Trinity, and why is it important? Okay? The Trinity, uh, and everybody probably knows the, this, this phrase, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are what we call the Godhead. In the prayer series, I talked about that they are the godhead the father son and the holy spirit but how many gods do we worship in christianity we worship one and that absolutely has to be at the core of our theology we worship the one god it's a part of it's very much part of the old testament every problem that they have in the old testament is because they went polytheist and they started worshiping all kinds of other gods every problem they had in the old testament was because they were worshiping other gods okay remember that so we are we are monotheists God exists as one. God exists as one. In my second sermon here at this church back in 2015, I I talked a little bit about the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 and the strong teaching on monotheism that it is. Um, In all other sort of, uh, especially ancient, Uh, myths about creation. They talk about this God doing this and this God doing this and this God creating this realm and this God being God over this realm and and all that. And in Genesis chapter one, the strongest statement that I think the church church often misses in their theology is that God created every realm. He created every part of every every realm and he is the Lord over every realm. He didn't create it and then uh, delegate it out to somebody else. No, every single realm he created, He sustains, and if it ever needs to be destroyed, He destroys it. Uh, in Hinduism, uh, in the upper left there, that's Hinduism. Uh, the upper right here is the, the Greek pantheon, and the lower uh, part there, that's the Egyptian pantheon. In all of those, uh, a different God creates, a different God sustains, a different God destroys. Uh, but in, in Christianity and in, and in Judaism, um, it is the one God. The one God created it all. The one God sustains it all. The one God... Uh, destroys it all if it needs to be destroyed. And remember, the earthly realm needed to be destroyed in Noah's days. And who who did it? Did the Lord delegate that off to somebody else? Absolutely not. He did all of that dirty work himself, all of the destroying, all the creating, all the recreating, all the redeeming. He does it all himself. He does not delegate it out. He is powerful enough to do it. And in your life, uh, I'll, I'll just re that sermon very quickly. In your life, whenever you have a problem, don't think, well, God doesn't care about this or he doesn't uh, know about this, or he he doesn't concern himself with this, so I need to go find somebody else to help me with this problem. Phooey, every part of your life, no matter how noble or spiritual it is, no matter how earthy, no matter how maybe even shameful it is for you uh, to think about and talk about with God, he concerns himself with every single aspect of your life. He created every single aspect of your life. He sustains every single aspect of your life, and if some aspect of your life needs to be destroyed, let him destroy it, because he's the most gentle destroyer out there. He wipes slates clean. And there are parts of your life you'd probably like to be gone, right? Don't you try to take it out. You'll take out something good or you'll leave something bad in there. Don't let somebody else do it either because they'll do the same thing. They'll mess it up. Men mess it up every single time. And when I say I mean all mankind, not just men, okay? Only God is the one who can just take it right out, no more, no less, and let you be done with it, Okay? But we see God existing, uh, and we see God existing as, as a unity or a, as a one in the Old Testament. And this is their number one statement of theology and faith in the Old Testament. And it's called the Shema. And the Shema, the word Shema means here. But it's not just here. It's listen, obey, internalize, understand, submit yourself to this fact. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel. Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. That is the way it is. Except if you find any Jewish person, they will not say Yahweh. They'll say Adonai, because Yahweh is God's name. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Yahweh is God's name. But they dare not say it because what if I take His name in vain? So they always replace it with Adonai, which means Lord. That's just a little aside there. Okay. This is the central statement of theology, uh, statement of belief in Judaism. We cannot take it out of ours. We cannot take it out of ours. This really needs to be uh, in ours. But. We have this idea of the Trinity, this, this thing of, called the Trinity. What is it? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he reveals himself. He has revealed himself here as a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. And the Spirit is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. And the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct from each other in that way. And yet, there is one God. And there is a paradox that you can, you can try to wrap your head around, but okay, maybe you, you can't. But it's not just a New Testament idea. I really want to bring this out. There is sort of a trinity in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, you have God speaking of himself in a couple of very distinct ways, in a couple of very distinct ways, okay? Uh, and, and this one over here, this is from the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. This is when you think of God, this is God, God on the throne, God uh, sustainer and judge of all the world. This is God in heaven, God who doesn't come to earth, God, God in heaven, okay? And nobody has a problem with that. And then over here, you have... God, the Spirit of God. And it's very hard to find a graphic of the Spirit of God that's not a dove. Okay? But he didn't reveal himself as a dove in the Old Testament. He revealed himself as more like the wind and the breath. That is the Spirit. So I I found one here that that fits the Old Testament idea of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters in creation. The Spirit of God filling people for, um, for prophesying. Saul prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, the Spirit of God filling Samson so he could slay all these Philistines, do amazing things. The Spirit of God fills people and then it sort of goes away, but it comes into people and uh, fills them so that they can do certain things. And in the, in the New Testament, we have the Spirit of God coming into our life. Why? So we can prophesy, so we can speak the Word of God, so, we can write, so the Bible writers could write the Word of God, or so that they can do amazing things, so they could heal people, so they could do whatever they needed to do. The Spirit of God empowers us. Uh, to do whatever we need to do, okay, the one that people might say is not definitely not in the Old Testament is the son, the father is God the Father he is he is definitely in the Old Testament uh, and God the spirit the spirit is definitely in the Old Testament, but is uh, God the son in the Old Testament, and I will contend yes and i 'll let anybody disagree with me on this if they want to, but there's an individual and this is a very poor graphic up here, but it's it's a work it's an, it's a piece of art. Um, There's an individual in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. And you need to think of things a couple of different ways. An angel from the Lord is just an angel. An angel from the Lord is a run-of-the-mill angel, if there is such a thing as a run-of-the-mill angel, okay? But then there's the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, okay? And the angel of the Lord shows up several different times. In this scene right here, it's Samson's parents. Samson's parents... Uh, get a visitation from the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, we know that it's, um, We know that this angel is different from other angels because this angel uh, receives worship. And other times in the Bible when, when a person wants to worship an angel, and that would be your reaction. If you saw an angel in front of you, your reaction would be, fall down on your face and worship. I will worship. I will give you a sacrifice because it's such a glorious being. And the angels, if it's just a run-of-the-mill angel, will say, no, 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 don't do that. I, I'm not worthy. I'm, not, just, I'm a servant just like you. But if it's the angel of the Lord, like in this case, then he said, okay, go get your sacrifice. I'll receive it. I'll receive it. Now, let me, let me give you a, a passage here, but I also want to give you some grammar, okay? All theology has its roots in grammar. The angel of the Lord... Uh, means that the angel is the Lord in, the, in this same way. If I give you the gift of a dollar, what's, a do, what's the dollar? The gift is the dollar. If I give you the gift of a dollar, the dollar is the gift. And in this grammar right here, the angel of the Lord, who's the angel? It's the Lord, okay? And I'll, I'm going to prove it in this passage. In Exodus chapter 3, this is where Moses uh, speaks to God in the burning bush. And you always say, he's not speaking to an angel, he's speaking to God. God is in the burning bush, right? Well, Let's read it. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. And the Lord is in all caps, okay? And when you see Lord in the Old Testament, it's in all, that's in all caps. What is it? It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh, okay? In Hebrew, that's Yahweh, okay? And that is the name of God, not just the generic name of, of, of any kind of God. It is Jehovah God. Jehovah. Yahweh comes into English as Jehovah. The angel of the Lord. The angel of Jehovah. uh, And the angel of Yahweh. And who is the angel? The angel is Yahweh. Appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. but Though it was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord, when Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, okay? So who was Moses talking to? Was he talking to an angel or was he talking to the Lord? He was talking to the Lord. He was talking to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is the Lord, okay? So I'm gonna contend to you and any rabbi will disagree with me and maybe half of Christian theologians will uh, disagree with me. But I, I believe that the angel of the Lord is the Son of God. Because when a new message needs to be given, when a covenant needs to be instituted, who did God send? I send my son in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, who did I send? I sent my son to go institute a new covenant with the people to do this work. And even in the book of Zechariah, there's a place where the angel of the Lord pleads with the Lord on behalf of sinful people. Well, who does that sound like? That sounds exactly like Christ at the right hand of God the Father pleading, the angel of the Lord pleading with God, the judge, sustainer on the throne, okay? See that picture, the angel of the Lord talking to the Lord, okay? And that shows them as distinct, yet they are one, yet they are one, okay? Seminar number three, okay? Baptism, we talked about church membership, we talked about the Trinity, okay? If you have any questions about any of these things, be sure to come talk to me, Ask me about them. And now let me end with a, a little bit of inspiration for you. In our passage today, Jesus emerges from obscurity into a land that is eager to see a move of God. And what's his what are his first words? In any of the gospels, look at Jesus' first words. How is he introduced onto the scene? How is he introduced to the people? What is the first thing that he says? He says Let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. So the theme of the book of Matthew to a large degree is how do we fulfill all righteousness before the Lord? And in the Sermon on the Mount, what are some of the things he says? Uh, let's fulfill all righteousness. You've heard don't kill anybody? Fine, fulfill all righteousness and don't even hate people. Wow, take it to a step beyond. Fulfill all righteousness in these ways. Do you want do you and, and then in that he is revealed as Son of God. God the Father speaks over him. You are my son, Psalm chapter two. Today I have become your father, That's Psalm chapter two. Everybody understood that as a messianic prophecy, and then the last part. Um, this is my son. I'm delighted with you. I'm delighted with him. Psalm four, uh, Isaiah 42, also very well known as a messianic psalm, uh, messianic prophecy the Godhead together in harmony right there over that event. Do you want God to be your father? He will adopt you. If sin, disbelief and this world has been your previous father that you are estranged from, fine, renounce him and be adopted by God the Father. Declare your belief in him. He will be your new father. Follow Christ in an example of baptism and fulfill all righteousness in your life by not just cutting out the evil things but putting in place righteous acts, good acts. Be part of what God's doing in the world. Put away childish amusements and be part of the work of redemption that God's kingdom is all about. And when you become more like Christ in your in your life, guess what? You will find a boy a voice from heaven, booming over you. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. And you'll feel the great joy of knowing that you have this Father and that He's pleased with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for this picture at Jesus' baptism. We thank You that He has emerged at this point and that He is part of he is, he is what you are doing in the world. Lord, make us part of what you are doing in the world. We thank you, Lord, um, that you announce your pleasure in him, that you love him, that you are pleased with him, that you've got good works for him to do. And Lord, we thank you that you feel the same way about us, Lord, that you, you love us, you want to call us your child if we'll just believe in you, and you want to feel great pleasure at watching us do your work in the world and know you and worship you. Help us to be part of your movement. Help us to join you in what you're doing. Help us to announce to others that you are our Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you are dismissed. Be sure to get a copy of the bylaws on your way out. And in a couple of weeks, we'll have a a get-together and we'll go through it line by line and talk about it, okay? Have a good afternoon.